0: Welcome to Willosophy with Will Anderson, I am Will Anderson uh, from the name of the podcast. Sorry about the breaking transmission, it's going to be a bit like that sometimes with Willosophy because, uh, well basically I've been on the rope earning my living. Uh, Thank you to everybody who came out and saw my free will shows in Adelaide and also in Brisbane. Uh, Thank you so much for helping me be part of the process of uh, putting together what this show has become and thank you to everybody who's come out and seen both free will and political will. During the Melbourne International Comedy Festival there is one week left so uh, look, the show's the best it's ever been. I'm really proud of it. Uh, I, I'm really excited by it. So uh, please come and check out Free Will. There is one week to go. There are tickets available. So come and check that out. Uh, Political Will is all over. But thank you to the people who came and supported that. And, of course, my uh, DVD from last year, Illuminati, that we filmed at the Sydney Opera House on January 19, is now available in Australia uh, on DVD with a, a show called What you Talking About, Will, which is an entirely improvised hour of stand-up I did at the Sydney Comedy Store. Uh, but it's also available on iTunes or Google Play or PlayStation or all those sort of places where you buy those sort of things uh, people in the rest of the world who are listening to this yes at some stage hopefully uh, we're, we're looking into it uh, we own the overseas rights so uh, obviously we, we want to uh, give you guys an opportunity to see it in some form so I will let you know when I know about that uh, today my guest on philosophy is my dear friend Charlie Pickering uh, Charlie is about to start a brand new show called The Weekly on the ABC it starts Wednesday the 22nd of April uh, it, we only got about halfway through the chat we wanted to have on this podcast we re- were going to try to do a second uh, part before his new show started but he's been so busy working on that and i've had the comedy festival that we haven't been able to do it but i think you're going to enjoy this chat anyway uh it's a great preview and then i'll get him back on once the weekly is up and going and i'm back in the country and we can talk all about that and about some more work stuff that we didn't really get to in this podcast but i think you're going to like it anyway uh, please if you do like the podcast uh, make sure that you uh, at charlie pick uh, is his twitter or hit him up on facebook and let him know that you enjoyed the podcast and make sure you watch his TV show The Weekly on the ABC Wednesday 22nd of April at 8:30 okay I'm not going to bang on I, uh, you can now buy uh, the theme song to this podcast I like you uh, by Saint Hughs so check those guys out you can uh, download it on iTunes or wherever you find your music uh, check them out and support them as well uh, thanks very much for listening to the podcast and uh, I've got uh, two more up my sleeve, and then uh, we'll uh, be completely out of podcasts, so uh, I'll have to record some new ones, and hopefully they'll go up a bit more close to when I actually record them, but anyway, that's a conversation for another time. Uh, Enjoy the show. Uh, please come and see my live shows Uh, if you're in America I will be at Rooster Teeth Feathers uh, in the I think uh, maybe the last week of April I'm at Rooster Teeth Feathers I'm coming back to Cleveland Uh, I have uh, gigs in London at the Soho Theatre for two weeks I'm doing Free Will uh, at the Soho Theatre starting I think it's the first two weeks of June basically so that's on sale at the moment at the Soho Theatre so I'll tell you more about all those gigs as we get closer Uh, thanks very much for listening and enjoy chatting Hello and welcome to Willosophy with Will Anderson. I am, um, it's actually a very hard title to say. Uh, The show is actually called Willosophy and I am Will Anderson. uh, But then I had to change the title of the show to Willosophy with Will Anderson because iTunes got rid of Willosophy and I said, can you just put it back? And they said, no, you have to change the whole title of your show and just do it all again. So now it's called Willosophy with Will Anderson and I can barely say the title of the show. Welcome. Uh, Anyway... (laughs) As usual, I have a guest. So it's not even philosophy with Will Anderson. It's with philosophy with Will Anderson and one other person. Hey, one other person, who are you? Uh,
1: I'm Charlie Pickering. Uh, is, is, I'm a comedian uh, from Australia. How about that? Does uh, that? Is that a good start? I, I, there's... Or did you sit there quiet, just seeing how uncomfortable I got and what other things I kept adding? I'm a dog lover. I ride bikes. And uh, I think Picasso's good. Uh, and I really like the Doobie Brothers.
0: That's exactly what I did. That was the, that's how we start the podcast. Yeah. I ask people that question because I like to see what they say. Yeah, and I. You went with I'm Charlie Pickering and I went nice. He just you know, he doesn't doesn't have to add a qualifier. He's just like he's happy. I'm Charlie Pickering. <laughs> you- and then I gave you one more beat and you crumbled <laughs> so quickly. <laughs> like I was a, you were a four-year-old child playing Jenga with an engineer <laughs> like
1: just I'm a comedian yeah. and I love dogs. Yeah. And I've got opinions on Obama, what, definitely. Should, should I should I have made it more difficult? Like uh, and, and who are you? If I just go, on, who are any of us?
0: Yeah, well and that, just left it at that. Man that would have been an ambitious start yeah. front foot. Yeah. That would have been like Brad Haddon walking out into the middle of the SCG and bashing <laughs> a six on his first ball. <laughs> I um I just like to know Charlie Pickering, welcome to the podcast. I appreciate that. Uh, for you coming out. Um I noticed the when you said your job, which is what most people go with first. I guess that's kind of why I ask is most people tend to qualify themselves by their career or their profession which i think is already an interesting thing about the people i'm interviewing on this podcast because i think that not the whole world defines themselves by what they do as a job
1: yeah i think that's true but i think also the f- reason i would go to that first and i think the reason why most guests would go to that first is because you probably got them on because of what they do for a job yeah i mean i guess that's right i mean I'm, yeah. like you didn't get pinky Beecroft in for hairstyling tips that, that that is a very good point. No, not, but to we say, did, no, not to say Pinky Beecroft doesn't have awesome hair. No, I'm not that saying is, that. But but you know him for his music and his and his ribald personality. Right. You know, that, that like,
0: is absolutely true. Even though we didn't actually get a chance to talk about Machine Gun Flay the a, that's entire two hours true. we talk to each other, because
1: yeah, it turns out. There's heaps more interesting things in his life than Right, and that's that. kind that's of one of those things yeah. that is already a place that I
0: like to start, that idea that we go with the job even though there are so many more fascinating things about people that define us. So, before we get to your philosophy, and then we're going to get to that in a second, but just let's stop down and we'll get to work because we know we always get to those questions. Yeah. What's something else that just defines you? What is something else that, you know, take out work that you think that, like, is Charlie Pickering?
1: Um. Like, I don't, want to, I don't want this to sound just like a list of hobbies, which my <laughs> earlier introduction was. Um, uh, I mean, I, I mean, okay, what, what I think... What, okay. Well, what, I'm just trying to think something. I'm obsessed with how human beings get better at doing things.
0: Okay, nice.
1: So, I, so what really impresses me is like how we got to an iPhone or how we got to have vaccinations. Or, you you know, like, so I I guess that's kind of of history. Like, I'm into history. Actually, that's it. I'm into history. Fuck, I'm wearing a Teddy Roosevelt T-shirt. So, so, yeah, I'm into history. That's probably the... Yeah, but no, it's more than history. You're into... Because
0: I think history means you're into, like... I guess knowing the facts of how things happen, but you're looking at how did history transform into what we know now as modern society. You're yeah. interested in that journey from one thing to another. I mean I'm fast I say it all the time about phones. Like when people aren't amazed by their new like aren't amazed enough by their new iPhone. Like like when yeah. people are let down. <laughs> like, I'm like, I'm still amazed that it doesn't have
1: cords and someone over there can hear me. Yeah. How did that how does that work? But also now to the point and fuck, everyone takes this for granted, but like, okay, good, a mutual friend of ours, Pete Hellier, yes, was in a bar in New York, and mm. my wife's a New Yorker, I fucking talk about New York too much. Okay, that's right. And he was in a bar in New York, and he hadn't really spent much time in New York before, and he was sure. having a great fucking time. And so, just he texted me to say, I'm in a bar in New mm. York, how good is New York? And like- also,
0: how good is modern society <laughs> yeah, that I can right. just casually do that yeah. and everybody doesn't just gather around? That's yeah. the thing. I'm like, you can now be in a different – because I've spent like uh, seven months of this last year out of the country, right, out of Australia. Yeah. And so my main like, source of communication back home is like Skype normally if you want to see people, you know. Yeah. And I find it amazing that I can be sitting in – me, a guy who tells dick jokes to strangers for a living – not the king of everything. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Not yeah. the most important person in the world, yeah. but just dickhead old Ando from Anderson's Road telling his dick jokes around America can sit in my living room and I don't have to get into a special booth. Yeah. Or like, it's not like Inception. I just open up my computer and I talk into it and I can see in real time what's happening on the other side of the world. Yeah. Why do I have access to that technology? Why isn't that only for kings and princes? <laughs>
1: It's dissimilar, like, I can't remember who it is. There's a stand-up comedian who talks about how, like, his wife said, I want to swim with dolphins. And he's like, are you Louis the Fourteenth? Right. Like, you know, it's, it's like what we take for granted now is ridiculous. But getting back to Skype, yeah. right? And this is my historical context of that technology, right? Sure. Why I think Skype's fascinating. 2001, a space odyssey, yeah. right? Where people talked on video phones to each other. Yes. Okay, putting aside the fact that that was 2001, so it was like... 14 years ago, right. right? But it was at a time when you could travel to fucking Jupiter and back yeah. all the time. So that that was kind of the context it was in. Yeah,
0: we, but, we looked at that movie and we went, look, one of those two
1: things is achievable. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like, We don't think we can get to Jupiter, yeah. but we might be able to come up with a <laughs> But you say like one of those two things is achievable. The fact was... It was achieved in the making of 2001 A Space Odyssey. AT&T, on, AT&T made video phones for that movie. For the movie. For the movie because Kubrick was like, can we do this? And AT&T was like, yeah, I reckon we can do it. Get this. So they made this product right. where you could video phone each other. And this says a lot about how society has changed. They made the product yeah. and they tentatively offered it to the market. And the market was like, oh, no, I wouldn't want anyone seeing me. When I talk to them on the phone, I mean, what if my hair's not done? I mean, I like, you know, if I'm in my, what if they see that my house is messy? No, that, and do you know what? That technology got shelved and wasn't pursued because it was felt that people didn't want to talk to each other on video. So between then and now, human beings are like, fucking selfie the shit out of me. Right. Like everyone is like, I want people seeing me all the time. So for that to work, I think what you needed was, social media to be a thing where everyone got used to the idea of broadcasting themselves regardless of who they were and regardless of what they had to broadcast. I've got you know, a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's what brought us all here. <laughs> so there was something that happened that, and it's do you know what? I think all of that also was a product of decades of advertising mm-hmm. that placed you at the center of the universe sure. saying, because you're worth it. You know, like all those ads where a car made you a better person and this beer made you a better person and that you were the fucking star of your own movie all the time or at least you should aspire to be. I think that made a huge psychological change to society that made social media a thing, which has changed the world and made a lot of people very wealthy. And then after all of that, Skype comes along and everyone goes, well, yeah, that's another way for people to see me broadcasting, I, and, it, and I think there's there's a psychological thing there that it became everyone became comfortable right. with with being seen.
0: I, 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 you're absolutely right. Like the the whole psychology of society had to change for that to be a thing,
1: mm. uh, and.
0: It, that's a really interesting point because I'll, I'll give you another example of like the same sort of journey. Uh, in Australia in the 80s, uh, I think it was the 80s, must have been the late 80s, I'm guessing now, that they tried to bring in what was known as an Australia card and it was for security yeah. and that everybody would have to have one. Regardless, it would just, you know, it would have your identify, identification on it and it would be a universal card that everybody had to have. And it was going to
1: make things... Easier. Quite
0: a lot easier. Lots lot more secure. It would mean that like everyone had like uh, yeah, ID for any situation where you would need ID. Yeah. We'd all have the exact same ID. And people went crazy. They were like, I'm never giving over my privacy. Like, you know, yeah. the government <laughs> are gonna be in my business. Oh, this is every big brother. Yeah. Before it was a shit T V show. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and people went crazy. And then like, you know, flash forwards thirty years later, like the minute we're like, Oh, I want to buy some pants from a foreign country. Here's what yeah credit card details and a photocopy of my passport
1: yeah but isn't it funny like uh, my parents have started buying stuff online yeah and to me that's like they are the the archetypal on, on the you know on like the bell curve of like innovators early adopters you know like the 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 i guess the the curve of how the market is it takes to something my parents are right down the back of sort of late late majority you yeah. know like of if if we
0: like in some office somewhere, they're like, if we've got the pickerings...
1: we've <laughs> we've got market share, <laughs> we've got market share. <laughs> Things are going well, but they, you know, they have to. You know, like your early majority has to see someone else do something first of before course. before they use something. Then your late majority has to see a whole bunch of people use it and it not lead to their demise right. before they do it. So my parents now trust internet shopping. So that kind of says how Another much. Another ten years
0: thinking. they'll trust laser eye surgery. <laughs> That's
1: right. <laughs> oh man! But you know, I um, there's there's something in that. Like, and, and it's real. What's really interesting to me is, is having worked on a show that talks about topical things yep. and issues of privacy would come up. I I sound like like I, I I don't know. I I sound like I'm one of the founding fathers of America talking about independence and liberty like on that stuff like I like I really feel strongly that your privacy should be yours to choose to give up. Right. And the extent to which so many people think that is ridiculous. Well, because everyone just gave it up. We yeah. just gave it up so easy. But I feel like my problem is I feel like we were never asked and, and if you tell me the terms and conditions, in the terms box, conditions. But that doesn't fucking they, count. They asked, Charlie. Yeah. We just didn't bother reading it. Do
0: you know what I did? They asked us. They just buried it in three yeah. months of other language that we would have had to read. And we went, we don't have time for that. I just want to download that song. Do you know what I.
1: Um, we, I, chose, do you know what I we chose to do?
0: convenience over our own personal security. Like, if you look at the, yeah. the moment about the big. T- in this last year the big companies that have been hacked I mean look at what happened with Sony and the interview these are as somebody tweeted the other day and I wish I could acknowledge who this was but it was a a really brilliant tweet on the topic that Sony were selling the interview online for $5.99 and the person said yeah I can think of no reason I wouldn't give Sony my credit card details (laughs) that's right yeah sounds completely safe (laughs) but it's one of those things where Target got hacked and a lot of big companies got hacked but we still all just put our details on the internet we think it's secure if somebody was coming trying to rob us in real life as regularly as they try to rob us when we go online we would realise it was a much bigger problem we but would, because
1: it's online we would live in gated communities like Johannesburg right. like we were out you know with guards and dogs you can't turn and, on a computer without someone trying to rob you yeah it's 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 quite crazy but to me like this is this is an interesting thing to me and I, don't. I, don't, I think it's something that's never been tested but there's when I studied law, there there were cases about contract law about what actually is part of the contract that you agree to in certain situations, sure. right? And it's how we understand who is bound to what when a transaction occurs. And one of the things was, you know, like when you buy a fucking concert ticket and on the back, it has like little conditions and shit on it, that stuff, if you actually took it to court, most of it wouldn't stand up, right? And so what strikes me is that I don't think anyone has really tested the concept of, well, you know the terms and conditions box that most of us click once a day or at least once a week as we sign up for new shit. Like no one's ever tested in court whether any of that shit stands because you're taking on companies that have more money than fucking tobacco companies when it comes to fighting that. You know, so, so like it's... Unless you're a troublemaker with a law degree, right? You're no, no one's ever going to test. Well, you're not
0: going to do anything about it because, like, that particularly in America, where is the place that you probably would go after, like, one of those things? If you go up after the Apple iTunes, like, you know, they'll just be like, oh you know what? We might just like leave America," and then America would be like, "Oh, we're gonna have to shut the doors."
1: Yeah, <laughs> like- but, but you you say that that that's the really interesting that, to me. That's the interesting conundrum that America finds itself in with Apple, and that is. The U.S. government would really like Apple to pay tax properly. Yeah, well, right? I think most would governments solve- would. But but, it's solve, are- but in America, it'd solve a lot of problems yeah. if the tech companies, yeah, if the tech in pay were paying tax, their
0: proper tax. Um, and the thing but about if big business was paying its yeah, proper yeah. tax
1: in but, general, but, but tech, tech in particular. Yeah. And I'll say, I'll even just say Apple. Right, right. I'll okay. even just use Apple as an example. And if the tech company, if a tech company like Apple, paid its tax properly education standards in America would improve. Right. So kids coming through high school and then into college, they would be far better equipped to be recruited by Apple to work on their business because they need highly skilled people. But here's how big Apple is, right? Because the government, and that's part of the government's argument to Apple is, if you just paid not even everything we think you should, but even a bit more, it means your recruitment pool is going to be more skilled, (laughs) right? Right. Um, even just the amount that Republicans would agree to, you know, like that amount, you would have a more skilled workforce, and your business would be better. And Apple, or even just
0: not even it doesn't even have to be, yeah, it doesn't even have to be your business. We're talking about people who are earning enough money to buy your fucking product. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know yeah, I mean? yeah,
1: that's right. But but even just their recruitment, because right. they actually to stay competitive with Samsung and to stay competitive with Google, mm. they actually need to have the best workforce. Sure. That's that is a very fast moving business. <laughs> but Apple's response to that should be. Well, fuck it. We're just going to fund the Californian education system ourselves and part of the deal is we get first shot at recruiting all the geniuses. Exactly. And so they could, they they're could. now at a point that they're yeah. so big that they can be more powerful in education of their own workforce than the American government can be. Yeah, capitalism's working fine. Right, yeah. No, yeah, capitalism's <laughs> working out great, guys. You know all those parameters you set in the fucking 1700s? Recalibrate that shit. It's not working anymore. I'm not capitalism's fucking great. Yeah. But you have a look at CEO to worker ratios are so out of whack. And what blows my mind, fuck, this is turning into a diatribe, but I'm getting I'm getting pretty No, it's
0: it's totally fine because like I think you're absolutely right. I think you can make the argument and you should make the argument and be able to make it in a way that you don't have to use all the words that Russell Brand seems to be using (laughs) and explain to people that there's nothing wrong with capitalism. Like, my shows are on sale right now. Please come yeah. and see me. Like you know, I've done
1: great off capitalism. Yeah. you know, but, I, I like it. It's but good. But you
0: can't convince me that the disparity between the CEO salaries and the workers who are actually doing the work yeah. is at a healthy level for our
1: society. No. You cannot convince me that is true. And and do you know what I find very interesting and highly contradictory about the conservative side of politics, which in a lot of ways, but almost exclusively in social ways, yearn for the 1950s, Mm -hmm. right? If you look to how things were in the 1950s, in America and in Australia, taxes were much higher. Equality was much better. You know that idea of the Australian dream or the American dream? It comes from a time where people felt invested in the companies they were working right. for. Right. They
0: loved the company. You'd worked for that company all your life and you knew your boss. Yeah. And like, you know, he invited around the barbecue and his house was slightly better than
1: your house. Yeah. His car was nicer <laughs> and his wife was shinier. Right. You know? <laughs> but, like, <laughs> but, but, but that but was But that it. was pretty much it. Yeah. And do you know what you had? You had a happier, more cohesive society. Right. And, and so many studies have been done that show that the happiest societies have nothing to do with how rich the wealthy are. The happiest societies are about the short economic distance yep. between rich and poor. That's and there's been a myriad of studies that have proved that. But like even, if you go to Samoa, even- like I went to Samoa, mm. and and there were like I was going through small towns in Samoa, and I actually like stopped once and hung out with some locals and had a meal with them, right? And it was basic, right? And where they lived, it was basic. I'll just say basic. Was it basic? It was basic. Okay. Right? And there was how would kids, you describe it? I'd say basic. Okay, um, yeah. but I, there were some kids swimming in, in like a drainage canal, uh-huh. and like in the back of my mind, I was going, "This looks a, this like I'm a white kid from Australia. This looks a tiny bit like poverty to me, uh-huh, right?" Yeah. And as I talked with them and laughed with them and noticed just how happy they were, I was like, "No, it's simplicity. It's not poverty, right?" And the difference between them and the Prime Minister of Samoa isn't that great. Right. And they all seem really fucking happy. Whereas in Australia, shit we complain. Like, you know, we find so many things to be angry about and hate all the fucking time. Right. Well, the problem
0: is, uh, well, I mean, there's a, a myriad of issues. Uh, I, but one of the major problems is that we, the inequality issue, if we want to linger on that, and what effects it has on the conversation you're having, is that the, the, the top end... It's in their best interest to protect what they have, right? And and why wouldn't you? And why wouldn't you, right? But things are going crazy now. You know, the statistics that 85 people control the same amount of wealth is almost half of the world now. It's crazy, the inequality. So we as a society... We, the majority, as a society, who aren't those people, the most obvious thing to do when we go, why don't I have what I think I should have, is look at the people who have everything and go, it's probably because they have everything. Yeah. But... The people who have everything have done this really clever thing of going, hey, do you reckon at some stage how we've got everything and keep taking more of everything that they'll realize that the reason they don't have something is we keep taking more of everything that we don't need and putting it in those rooms of our houses that we have never visited? Yeah. And they go, oh, you know what we should do? Why don't we like get a like a newspaper or a TV station or something and we'll tell them the reason that they don't have everything is because there's people coming here on a boat from yeah, another country. Exactly. And we'll get them to concentrate on that. And while they're doing that, let's take more of their stuff yeah. and put it in that house. I don't even know where it is.
1: Yeah. Here's the thing. I genuinely believe you can only do it for so long. It's like, did you... Did you read the Chris Rock interview recently in New York Magazine with Frank Rich? I did read that, yes. It's one of, it's, it's one of the great interviews and it's another reminder that Chris Rock's one of just the smartest cats going on.
0: Again, we're doing unattributed tweets today, but I need to point out, you can look up the tweet and find the person who came up with it. But somebody tweeted at the time after all those great interviews came out and he talked about race in Hollywood and a whole bunch of yeah. great issues in in really... Yeah. Great detail, and uh, somebody just tweeted, and I thought it summed it up so well. They said, "Chris Rock is the new Chris Rock."
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so true, though. Like it. Um, w- w- hey, later in this chat, yes, let's come back to Chris Rock about something. Okay, All right? cool. Um, but the thing that he said was, if poor people knew how rich the rich were, yep. they would fucking riot. Right, there would be revolution, and I personally. I think a lot of the fundamentals of what Russell Brand kind of seems to believe, I don't have that much of a problem with. No, I agree. I think the packaging is ludicrous, mm. and and I think calling for revolution and telling people not to participate in democracy are like the wrong approach,
0: right. But we're hearing nonsense opinions from the other side as well. I'm, I'm, I'm very like. Yeah, but the other side is winning. I'm, yeah, but I'm, <laughs> I'm like- very defensive of Russell. Like not, cause I, I just wish that he would not have to use every single word every single time. And, but I, you know what? The things he's talking about are important and yeah. he could be a rich celebrity in Hollywood talking about having had sex with Katy Perry and like, you yeah. know, ladies and whatever. And he's decided instead that he wants to talk about something that he, f- Feels as important now. He has that air of someone who just discovered that God wasn't real in his mid 30s, even though he thinks God is real. But, but you know, what I mean, like yeah. sometimes when somebody becomes an atheist, yeah, later yeah, yeah. in life they're way too into being an they atheist, want to
1: te- yeah. They want to tell everyone and everything like, that Richard hey guys, Dawkins has
0: said all at once, guys. God doesn't exist, and you're like, Yeah, yeah no, I worked that out when I was about eight,
1: yeah, like. Yeah, my mum got cancer when I was at high school. Yeah, yeah. The, the other shoe dropped. Yeah, and then somebody
0: at the Grammys was saying they thank God and I thought, you know what? Yeah. Even if there is a God, I don't like this God. Yeah. do let my mum die of cancer, but let Beyonce win a Grammy.
1: Yeah, it's like, are, are there different gods? Like yeah. there are different A&R guys at different labels? Right. You know, I like the God that signed the Wu-Tang Clan. <laughs>
0: Or as uh, the very funny Melbourne comedian uh, Dave O'Neill said in his set the other night, he was trying to drop the Wu Tang Clan, uh, Wu Tang Clan as a reference, and instead said Wu Tang Clang. Perfect. Yeah, which is um, yeah, th- that's, which a hip-hop, is- that's a hip That's a hip hop crew that just really n- name checks people they know all the time. <laughs>
1: <laughs> really big names. Ah, oh, it's the Wu Tang Clang. It's actually three English comedians doing hip hop. Right. <laughs> Uh, Okay, Uh, so Um, let's uh, let's move on. Let's
0: get to your philosophy, and then we can start talking about everything again. Because like we managed to, you know, go twenty three minutes into the podcast where I'm meant to ask you about your philosophy. This is a bit
1: because you and I actually know each other very well and have for years, and we haven't seen each other for, quite a seen for a while. We haven't seen each for a
0: while. We did about 45 minutes off air and then we thought we
1: better the things that we can't quite talk about on the podcast. We, we, I'm glad we ended the Russell Brand yeah. check because I reckon I probably would have said something I'd, I'd call you to cut out later. But I don't like um, to cut things out of
0: the podcast. So it
1: doesn't work like that. Um, so my philosophy.
0: Yeah. Um, Do you have one? What is it? When did you get it? What's it about? These the, are the things
1: I'd like to know. Okay, but if I have a philosophy and and here's the thing, you don't have to by the way. no, 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 I have a philosophy um, and I've had it for a very long time, and it's a it's a it's a blessing and a curse. okay, nice. and and I think you'll recognize that. you know me yep. very well and when I tell you what it is, is I it think,
0: may, may you live in interesting
1: times? <laughs> no, nothing nothing nope. quite as mystic as that. okay that's a Chinese
0: uh, yep. a Chinese blessing that no it's a Chinese curse that people misinterpret as a
1: blessing. Yeah, that's believe, his, yeah. Yes, may um, you live in interesting times. And just on the topic of cultural curses and blessings, my favorite Yiddish curse is "May your washing never dry," which is like it's a actually, tiny, but like, that would drive you mad. Yeah, that would. It'd just be constantly damp. Yeah. Imagine um, <laughs> think about it. What <laughs> nice. a great curse. Yeah. That was obviously yeah. Anyway, um, so my my philosophy is um, never be intimidated by anyone.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Uh, so how do you when did you first
0: start thinking this like did you were you intimidated by people and then you kind of had to make that switch in your head or do you think that it's something you've always had where did that come from that's an interesting thing to say never be intimidated by
1: by anyone i think i almost i settled i i articulated it to myself sometime at high school okay uh, was there and, a
0: moment? Do you think? Can you remember like where that comes from? I mean, you know, is there a moment no, I, where like was, uh, you're in a cave full of bats? Because <laughs> <you know? laughs> it does feel a little like yeah. that.
1: Uh, and, uh, Never be kind of like, intimidated. I was at a. I, I initially went to a school that w- wasn't very strict, and I got into trouble a lot.
0: Okay. All right.
1: Why? So, why did you get into trouble? What was I was bored. Because I, yeah. I would finish my work quickly. I and that, and and initially. This is this is going anyway. Well, this can go everywhere. No, but, everywhere. but, no, no, but just- no, but this is like like it, it's it got space. to a point in grade four where it was unworkable. Okay, that I was so bored yep. and found everything so easy. Yeah, I got a detention in grade four. Like and and at this school that had never happened before. Right. right. So I did a bunch of tests, mm-hmm. and they figured out I was just. Ahead of where we were And so I think that that
0: Happens more often than not Like I mean I know that A lot of the time When I was misbehaved Not necessarily at primary school But like at high school Like it was It just got to that point Where you're like Yeah get this
1: Yeah Why are you still telling me this Why am I sitting here Waiting for you to explain (laughs) To everyone else Um, So As it, turns, also- as it turns out I didn't quite get as much As I thought I was right. getting At My the marks time did not reflect it
0: I, uh- wish, I, wish, <laughs> I wish in retrospect I looked back And was like When will I ever need French Oh well maybe When you went to France For that really nice holiday And it yeah. would have been great To speak fluent French <laughs> <laughs> Dig it." Um <laughs> <laughs> if but we uh, ever invent time travel, I'm going back and, and I'm going to tell myself to fucking concentrate I in learn, French. I want
1: to learn French. Actually, I, I do actually... That's the weird thing. I got to the point of speaking French by the end of high school and then didn't speak it for about 10 years and went to France and landed and was like, Bonjour, and it all came back. It was really pretty freaky.
0: I, I would like to say to kids, and we, we'll we we'll stop down and we'll get right through this, but yeah. I would like to say, if there's any young people who are listening to this, like, and you are still at school and you are bored by things, Here's the thing that I would say is find a way to be interested because you will never regret in the rest of your life. The only regrets I have from school is I had the opportunity to learn about some things I'd really like to know about now. Absolutely. Like I would I would love to know more how chemistry works now or you know things that I kind of just skied through and just en- didn't really pay that
1: much attention, paid enough attention to to get through. Entirely true. I, I grew to hate maths, to loathe right. maths, maths. Although I cheated on my year 11 maths exam and did well enough that the school made me do it in year 12. So, that was a punishment. Okay. So, anyway. There you um, go.
0: (laughs) (laughs) There's um, a lesson. Yeah. um, But I hated- (laughs) I cannot say the same about me at the end of U10 maths. (laughs) 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 To either of those things.
1: Um, But now, one of my favorite things is astrophysics and planets and Carl Sagan and Neil deGrasse Tyson and, 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 you know, like Cosmos. And learning about the universe to me is- So infinitely fascinating and instructive. And you wish... And I wish I had...
0: Well, you wish you had the grounding that would have meant that you could have immediately... I mean, I went to see uh, Professor Brian Cox uh, talk. Adam Spencer, my good friend Adam Spencer, who's done this podcast. um, uh, He it was uh, doing a part of the show with him interviewing him and stuff and so he invited me along and the first I mean half of the first half of it I thought was some of the most fascinating things I've ever seen in my life and then in like that second half of the first half he started doing some physics live on stage and people were loving it and then he said look that's the easy bit now after the break I'll come back and I'll do some really complicated stuff and I said well after the break you'll be coming back (laughs) 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 I'll be on my
1: way home
0: because you lost me but i would have loved to that yeah eh?
1: and that's the thing like there's now there's a ceiling on my reading right like there's the like there's a point i can't quite go beyond yeah as much as i'd like to see myself as some kind of goodwill hunting figure that could right. fucking learn anything out of any book i pick up with that i just don't have the fundamentals and i'm probably at i'm i'm at an age where learning those fundamentals is possibly a touch too hard. In the same way that if you you learn a language when you're young, it's fucking easy. Uh, But now, like, I've tried to learn Italian recently and it's, geez, it's hard. Like, it's really tough. Well, I mean,
0: that, but also you don't have the time that you once had. Like I mean, you could oh you,
1: fucking you time prob- you probably,
0: oh you, time you probably could get across these things yeah yeah but yeah. you'd just be like hey yeah uh, hey you know wife and baby in Korea um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna learn Italian if you guys could all hang out together yeah. I'm gonna uh, bonjour <laughs> <laughs> um so. All right, so education was where we were. We were talking about you being bored. Oh yeah, yeah. So I'm still. uh, Before we move on with this, sorry, but people, there are some people, Charlie, already, yeah, uh, who say you interrupt too much. um, That that, uh, you know, you don't let. It's a conversation. Yeah, it is a conversation. And I'm going to let people get to whatever they want to get to. Just sometimes it reminds me of other things. Yeah, yeah. If you just want an interview that is shit that you can look up on Wikipedia, just fucking look up Wikipedia. Yeah. Or go to a proper interview podcast. Uh, Richard Feidler's podcast that he does conversations on the ABC is excellent.
1: Yeah, we have wonderful, but
0: it's a standard. Interview. Yeah, it's more. Anyway, of, it's I, more I'd, of I'd like what to you're know your opinions at. on things. Yeah. So, the education system right now, because you have a child, and yeah. at some stage that child is going to have to be educated. Yeah. Do you have opinions on education at the moment? What we're doing right, what we're doing wrong? Because I think it's a really kind of big issue in our society how we educate our future generations one of the statistics that i read recently and I, I haven't got this exactly but i'm going to just give you the gist of what it said was about about half of the jobs i think was the statistic about half of the jobs that the kids who graduate uh high school who are kids now do uh, have not even been thought of yet like yeah. 50% of them yeah. so how do we educate children in a way that, like, you know, because when we kind of went to school, even there was still that kind of element of we were the last of probably of those generations where there was still kind of, you know, you went to school and you go study being a lawyer and I'll be a lawyer or, yeah, or, or yeah, whatever.
1: Yeah. What, what- I, and I think it's very different now that you, you, well, I think you should study to have skills that can be applied as broadly as possible. Yeah. Um, but you've got to fucking hone those skills. Like, they, they have to be properly. It can't just be, I learned how to speak English, I'm ready. You know, I think we think about education all wrong. I think we approach, it, we approach it all wrong. There's, there's a whole bunch of things going on. Yeah. Um, number one, we reduce funding for education consistently. Sure. And the in, one, what, thing,
0: one thing as a society that we need is to fund – it's never bad for a society that people are smarter. No. It's never bad for a society. It just means that at least people won't be dickheads and walk on the wrong side of the footpath when you're going down the street, at the very least. Yeah. That they'll be able to count up their change in your shop. That yeah. The more educated your population is. But the problem is, and again, it goes back to this equality inequality argument, Charlie, is that the... The, the rich, the protected, the elite have no interest in... The best way for a young person, from a person to move from a state of poverty to a state of having money, is through education. Yeah. It is still to this day the best thing. Oh, but Professional also- sports, you know, arts and entertainment are the ways that you can shortcut into those worlds. Yeah. But education across the board is the one that... and But what happens is you find that these people, the rich... You know the private school system gets more and more exclusive, and you can only get access to it if you have a certain amount of money. And it's the same people and the same families, yeah. and it gets locked into this cycle.
1: And I've, I'm particularly lucky that my father didn't have that opportunity. Right. He worked super hard. He he got a place at he got a place at Melbourne High, mm-hmm. which is a selective state school. So it's like you have to reach a certain academic level to get into the school. And he'd been in like Catholic Christian Brothers school, like in Western suburbs, like, you know. uh, And he finished year 12, but it was a terrible school and standards were really bad and he couldn't do what he wanted to do, which was be a pharmacist. So he went back and did year 12 again, but he sat an exam to get into Melbourne High to do year 12 again. And that was a proper school that championed education and he was able to move from there and be successful. And then... I've had every educational opportunity that I could possibly ask for. And I like to think I'm a good advertisement for what, a, what an investment in education can achieve. I think every child should have the quality of education I had. I actually don't think it should be that expensive to do. Right. I, um, so num- number one, we have to change the way we talk about it. Governments shouldn't talk about oh this is we, we've we've the costs of education, the cost of the cost of not educating educating is far greater than the cost of not educating. Right, that's well, number one. Yeah, that's so the simplest sh- thing we you should need to talk learn. of
0: it, it like because we always talk about the costs of it, but we don't a highlight the benefits of it. I guess it's a, well, co- a don't cost talk about be- the
1: cost. It's the investment it's in education. It's a cost benefit
0: analysis, and yeah. we're, like the truth of it is it's a very short term thing to say we'll cut money to. You know, well, I mean, as it is with health and all those sort of things, you 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 you, you charge somebody seven dollars to go to the doctor. You know, if you yeah. go to the doctor. Anyone who's rich doesn't give a shit about know, yeah, seven dollars, so they go to the doctor regardless. Yeah. But people who are poor and living like you know hand to mouth, they just go, stop well, going to the doctor. I won't go to the doctor, and then down the the other end, they have massive, massive health problems that could have been preventable that cost us much more money than the seven dollars that we ever fucking saved.
1: It's it's fine. It just as a footnote. You hear people talking about this this payment to go to the doctor, and they say, "Oh, well, it's the government trying to send a price signal about yeah. the cost of health, right?" Yeah. And all of a sudden, conservatives love the idea of a price price signal. signal yeah. But but when there was a price signal about carbon in the right. atmosphere, no, 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 that was... no, that was impinging on our liberties. Yeah. Because, so so yeah. to me, it's like either you believe in price signals or you don't. No, you they know, believe like... in poor people not going to the doctor. That's what and also like in. what. You, what message are you sending with your price signal? What's your signal? Oh, don't if, go to the doctor. If you're poor, don't yeah, go to the doctor. Yeah, that's it. That is the only message. This is the... That's, and it's, it's that's just the one, if you're poor, that's the one you don't make. get care. And like some people will...
0: So anyone like there might be people out there who'd be like, well, that's your just, that's your perspective. Maybe you're, you're that you have pre- progressive views on this, but you cannot look at that in, in any other way. Because if you are anyone who earns an, any decent amount of money, seven dollars is not enough to stop you going to the doctor if you think you are ill. Yeah. The only people it stops going to
1: the doctor is poor people. Is poor people. Do you know what bothers and, it, <laughs> and do you know what bothers me about when when and, politicians and, and, say and, and it saves no money. No, yeah, that's yeah. That's the other thing. If and it costs read, money down the track. It only helps your budget this year and it fucks your budget in 20 years' time. Right. But also also anyone that says people are humans. (laughs) But anyone that says and and our leaders and our highest leader in this country has said it has said most people would think it's reasonable to spend $7 to go to the doctor. Do you know what? Most people spend 30, 40 bucks to go to. Most people go to a doctor where they pay to... Or, or like most people that can afford it. Most people
0: it, do already. Of like, are already
1: paying. So of course $7. Fuck, I'd love to pay $7. Yeah. But, but I'm, I'm paying like my health insurance covers a certain amount and I'm paying like 35 bucks on top of that. That's so I can go to the doctor when I want and get in quickly and see the doctor of my choice. But... And as you should be. Yeah. Like, I
0: mean, that's... I mean, I have no problem with paying, like, you know, the, the, my Medicare levy. And yeah. I, I do believe that people who earn more money, you have the capacity to pay, then pay. Yeah. Anyway,
1: okay. So, so number one, number one, number education, one education, education should be... Uh, also, education... I, th- I think we've got a, in In this country in particular, we haven't... I believe we have an anti-intellectual attitude. I, I, I think we've got an attitude that... I think that's probably fair. The moment you...
0: Like For a country we, that has produced so many world-class intellectuals, I do think that it's not something we're particularly proud of.
1: Yeah, and it's funny if you if you saw the brilliant creatures documentary uh, on the ABC, which was like Clive James and Robert Hughes, the good Robert Hughes, and um, <laughs> uh, Jermaine Greer, and he's um, legally changed his name to the yeah, good Robert Hughes, yeah. and, um, <laughs> Post- and Barry Humphreys about yeah. this exodus of like these some of the sharpest, right. most exciting minds sort of cultural minds the country's ever produced yeah. and the exodus from Australia to London where they became world famous and celebrated and were the best advertisement for our country you could imagine. Like they right. changed the perception well, Jeffrey, of Australia. Jeffrey
0: Robertson and yeah. people like that. I mean, having losing the voice of people like Jeffrey Robertson from our country and from our popular debate for that period of time but we, we you see it even in our politics you know we've we've gone from the days of you know the the inspiring leader you know yeah. who, who was you know Proud of, you know, of the way they could speak on their, you know, feet and you know take it to the you know opposition and like stand in front of a town hall meeting and use their wits and their yeah. oratory and to this modern day grab bag of you know
1: uh, you number know, crunch, it's 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 focus like,
0: groups and yeah. three
1: word slogans and yeah, it's because well I think there's a broader problem there that is uh, as politics has become an industry. Like any industry, yes. there is a spreadsheet that will tell you how to make a margin that you can survive. Well, you've worked and you've worked in
0: television as well. You know, people sometimes just want to look at a graph to justify things no one can explain. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's right. <laughs> <You know>? Oh, <laughs> um, so right. so yeah, I, uh, education. Oh yeah. So so our attitude to education should be different. Yeah. We should be like we should be celebrating academic achievement the way we celebrate sporting achievement in this country. It's as simple as that. If you get government funding to compete at the Olympics and you start making millions of dollars, you should pay it back like hex. That money should go it's back one into of, education. One of those
0: things I've been banging on about for years. It Just a,
1: a graduated system in the exact same way. Yeah. It, 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 to me, it's like... And that's the thing. Like, if you're in the Australian women's cricket team and you go and win the Ashes, I don't expect you to pay anything back that you got because you're not making any fucking money right. doing it. And that's unfair, but it's just how it is. But, like, you... I don't expect you to pay back, but if you're fucking Thorpey and you've got enough on the side to design some fucking jewelry, like pay you—you got to pay that back, mate. Like, I would, you know, like I—I I, would, <clears throat>
0: I, I wouldn't even necessarily stop there, and there'd be some people who. Um, and this is why sometimes when people say things like, you know, that they try to label you as having one perspective on politics or the other. And I know that you've copped that a lot over the years. Which like, we'll talk about,
1: but well, it's we, actually inaccurate of right. me. Well, like it is. It's but inaccurate yeah. for me as well. Like, yeah. because,
0: you know, I mean, I, look, I'm socially progressive. There's no doubt about that. But there are a bunch of things, this one included, which would go against that. I I would go a step further. I don't think even just like athletes and education. Now, here's my attitude. I think it all should be paid back at at a high level, like the the, the kick-in point. Should be set reasonably high. Yeah, I don't want to burden anyone with a lifetime of debts. Absolutely, it always should be a percentage graduated out of your income at the end of the year from your tax. Yeah, you know, I, I remember when I paid off my hex. By the time you earn enough money to be paying it off, you pay it off without really noticing that I'll, you're paying I'll, it I'll
1: off. I'll never forget. It was kind of the first proper job I had, and there was the day I rang my accountant and said, "Can I just pay it off now?" And right. he goes, "Yeah, do it." And it was like I was proud. I was like, "Excellent!" I got an education. I didn't even fucking use it. Right. Like I didn't use my law degree. I, I had a job in radio with you. Right. But by the time I, I was making any money, but I felt like I'd been educated, my nation educated me. I do use it every day and I've paid it off and I feel good about it.
0: Right. Well, you thats know. I mean, I have a journalism degree, you know, and I, I paid it off, you know. I mean, we paid it off at a lower level than we're expecting people to pay it off today. But my point is this: yeah. if you set the cutoff, the, as the you know the where you have to start paying it back at a reasonable level, people will never complain because by the time they're at getting to that reasonable level, and you make it a reasonable percentage, and it should be the same with the sports people. Yeah. I'm not looking to tap you if you end up like working in a job where you earn fifty, sixty thousand dollars a year. But if you're Leighton Hewitt, who went, you know, who, who got government taxpayer money, you know, that, then
1: you, you know what. You can pay Light, some back. A bit like Newet who got government taxpayer money and then took out Bahamanian citizenship. Right. Fuck that. Yeah, so. Fuck that. So I
0: would go a step further. Fuck. Right. That. Well, firstly, fuck that. You should have to pay.
1: Do you, do you know what? Like I might rubbish Australia's anti-intellectualism. Mm. I might have issues with the fact that we will champion sporting endeavor over intellectual endeavor or scientific endeavor. I may have issues with that. I may have issues with the way that our public approach politics in the most disinterested fashion possible. But fuck, I'm patriotic. Right? Fuck, I am a patriotic <laughs> Australian. And if you fucking rat out our country like that, if you take the opportunity and then shift yourself offshore, so you never have to give back to the opportunity yeah. that you fucking had, no, no, fuck, you. fuck yeah, no. that. I agree. What well, wasn't? Come on! But
0: I don't think it was just Leighton. I think Pat. I mean, I loved Pat Rafter, but I'm pretty sure that Pat Rafter was Australian of the Year when he was fucking living in Bermuda like I think if we go back you, you uh, know, I, I, but I, also I, I, remember- don't,
1: I never use Australian of the Year as a yardstick for anything because John Farnham won Australian of the Year and he was a British citizen and they had to rush through a fucking swearing in ceremony for him to be an Australian to be Australian of the Year oh uh, yeah but I mean that's like- kind of been happening for the history
0: of white <laughs> Australia so let's not yeah. let's not go overboard on that one but but this is the thing that I, I find really weird because sometimes I like talk to people about like you know Rupert Murdoch Rupert Murdoch can himself let's take out the you know the the media empire that he
1: can we just pause sorry i just need to go to the bathroom oh yeah of course we can
0: yeah no worries i hear some people uh defend rupert murdoch sometimes and yeah in the patriotic way they're like well he's an aussie he done well but the thing that fucking shits me and we're not gonna get bogged down in rupert murdoch today because we've got better things to talk about and if people listen to this podcast you'll get to hear all my uh but the thing that always pisses me off is he's, he sold out Australia the first minute he could. The minute he had to have an American citizenship to buy a fucking company over there, he was like, Aussie? No, fucking not. He doesn't yeah. live here. Yeah. He's not an Australian citizen anymore. I, You know what? Whatever you think about him, I don't have to have some sort of patriotic Aussie done good attitude to fucking Rupert Murdoch. Yeah. Anyway, back to education because I know you had one more thing to say and then I want to go through this, you know, where you got this like, uh, Yeah, you know, Other don't philosophy. be intimidated by people philosophy. Never so, be intimidated.
1: Intimidated by anyone
0: Never be intimidated by anyone
1: Um, The The other thing about education See how he
0: wasn't intimidated by me. people (laughs) Didn't let me fuck up his uh, philosophy He corrected me straight away Proving that his philosophy is true That was a real life example That's what that was That was like practical work People
1: Descartes didn't let people go. Yeah, you know, like Descartes says, uh, I think therefore, yada yada yada. Yeah. Like you know, he goes, no, 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 no. They're, 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 I was particular. Yeah, <laughs> but like you know, no, I think he would have liked that. Would, yeah. I think
0: therefore, I yada yada yada. Yeah. He's like, that's
1: better. Yeah, that's yeah, that's good. You, you could do it. You could do with that. Yeah. <laughs> I like the twist. It's <laughs> a good name for a show. Yeah. <laughs> uh, sort of musical cabaret. Um, I think but, therefore I am, Will Anderson <laughs> and Descartes. <laughs> think. Have you done? I think therefore Will I am. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's me, Descartes, and uh, Will I Am from the Black Eyed Peas. Yeah,
1: awesome. <laughs> um, so, uh, oh no, the other thing is, and this is this is the fault of our short political cycles and yeah. the nature of politics now, and the twenty-four hour
0: media, M- news, cycle. M- media Again, news cycle. Let's not go back to Rupert Murdoch, and
1: but we have nothing but tactic. Sorry, nothing but tactics and no strategy. Sure. So, so with education, to me, like like being realistic about Australia and I'm yet to I'm yet to hear a cogent argument for something else but our boom future like if we're going to have economic security in the future in this country it's it's agricultural like like there's there's a the, the concept that we're going to be a tech hub for the world is bonkers right like sorry we we're, we're building a substandard internet you know, like we're building a substandard communications network and all the capital is in fucking Silicon Valley. Yeah,
0: okay. There is, in some way, I agree with what you're saying, but in another way, I actually don't. I think that the industry, the, the future, if you think of, like, Australia needing to be a tech capital, like, in the same way Silicon Valley is a tech capital, then, of course, no, it's never going to be. Yeah. But there could be, it could be... The place where, just for example, some of the, the best games designers in the entire world come out of Australia. Yeah. If you, if we had a couple of big games,
1: like if, look But, at, but, but look if at you what, look at it, we had a government that cut funding yeah. to the gaming industry. No, 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 so, but, but, I'm, you know.
0: but what I'm saying is in, in the vision for our, you know, we're we're rebuilding things Charlie. If we're going to fucking rebuild the education system, we can also rebuild the internet. Yeah. We need to have the one thing that this country needs. Forget highways, actual highways. We need information super highways. Now you can argue over what the best way to deliver it is but we should be both all parties everyone should be united in the idea that if we had the fastest internet in the world in australia yep. we would be amongst the top 10 countries in the world in whatever it is that we're doing yeah whatever industry but even also, if we're still digging shit out of the ground and that's our industry having high speed internet will make us the best at that in the world as well because we can
1: trade it better yep. or get
0: things faster or sell them to different well, we, places we can in can the be world a con-
1: we can be a content creator for other markets because we can upload instantly but also the like, major you know,
0: the major problem in australia with our population is that it's gathered in capital cities and we have this incredible uh, amount of land that no one uses if you could have your business in newcastle and you could be why would you need to live in sydney yeah you that's can go right. and live by the beach and newcastle could become a hub and if you can't convince me now i know you're saying that like you yeah, know we might not yes we're not going to become the next Silicon Valley of course not but look at what Peter Jackson's done in New Zealand with Weta and Weta Studios you can build an entire industry in one country and if yeah. you have the technology and you can like you know then export that technology into the world as we're saying you know we yeah. can fucking Skype each other you can't tell me if we don't have great internet we can't be dominating every modern business around yeah. the
1: world it, it's
0: entirely possible and it, we it, keep
1: our best people in Australia they yeah. don't have to go overseas yeah hundred percent We lose quality people all the
0: time. We are a country that exports our best still in the sciences and still yeah. in arts and entertainment and still in all of these areas. People go overseas to find that work and they could be doing that work overseas in from Australia. Yeah.
1: I, I agree with that. But if I can get back to
0: agriculture. In their little fucking town <laughs> out in the middle of the outback yeah. near all the solar panels and the fucking wind farms.
1: You also, But you also, to me, you have to solve a transport problem and build an acceptable rail network that means that um, that means that regional towns become regional cities, like a, 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 like I regional capitals. But you the know. minute
0: that you have high speed internet into regionals. Regional towns become regional cities. The minute a business says, I can go and live in Newcastle and we pay a third of the rent that we pay in Sydney and we live by the beach and we can run our business exactly how we would run it and everybody who works for our business can come and live in this really beautiful
1: place. But also, yeah. And also, we can pay them a little bit more than they'd earn in Sydney because our rent is so low. Right. Right. So you attract all great. the best
0: people, plus yeah. the Newcastle, like you know, government because they want to build a city there, like a yeah. super city, a satellite city. Because Newcastle,
1: and that's why Will's running for mayor of Newcastle. Right. Oh, yeah, <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> And I'm going to reopen the nightclub fannies. Yeah. <laughs> but the
1: thing with, uh, if I can just use agriculture okay, as an okay. example, yeah, right? No, sorry, and, people don't need to hear it's my a, It's an example of what needs to happen with education. Yes, right. If we're going to be the food bowl of the world. Yes. Right? Of Southeast Asia, at least.
0: Yeah. Which we definitely can be. It's achievable. My parents are farmers and, you know, they are very optimistic about what our future is in this region.
1: We need to have an agricultural theme in education from children that are in kindergarten now. All right? And, you know, as you said, like, find a way to be interested in learning. Right. You know how, like, uh, at school... who you were into the Cure or who were you into when you were yeah, what, yeah, Cure? You, okay, sure. so let's say That's, if, if be. when you were learning French at school, school yeah. all you had to use it for was to write about the Cure, translate their lyrics, talk about Robert Smith. Oh my God, I would have got to. You would have been so French as girls. shit. You would have been. A-
0: <laughs> if I could write Cure lyrics in French, I'm sorry to be so vulgar, but that, yeah. I would have had a great teen years. <laughs> <laughs> um. What's French for fingering?
1: Um <laughs> <Your> play. Yeah. <laughs> this has been a horrible joke on our country. But run it through from education onwards. Right. Right. So that in twelve years when we need it, we've got people who have a like you have a background in the fundamentals needed to be high tech agriculture. And that's the mistake we make. We think that agriculture is just spuds in the ground. It's so fucking high-tech. It's as high-tech as Silicon Valley, right? The, in, in Israel, on kibbutzes, they can grow shit in a fucking desert because they've got low-water technology for right. farming, right? So we need to have that same attitude to go, do you know what, arid land, how do we fucking use it? We, we have to be able to farm everywhere efficiently. Climate change is going to be a problem, but if we're smart, we can work around it. I'm gonna but this- then, uh, just getting right. back to the, okay, spending on, yep. the spending on education, right? How about this? Like, everyone else has a hex debt when they go to uni. But if you're going to do agricultural sciences, fuck it, we'll pay you a ride. Right. We'll, we'll ha- you go to uni for free but we should- and you come out the other right. end and you are... Uh, but, but in return, you got to fucking work here. You know, like, it's almost like the army will send you to uni if you go and fight for a couple of years. But if you are willing to work for, you know, out of university, if you're willing to work for the first five yeah. years we in paid, Australia... Yeah. we We will pay pay for for you to go to university.
0: So, Charlie, I could not agree with you more. We decide on what the vital industries of our future are and we fund them because they're good for all of us. We also do it with essential services, things that we need great people in. So, we bring it back. Teachers, 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 nurses, nurses, doctors, doctors, people who look after us in our time. If they are willing to work in those industries for a certain period of time, then they're we, the rest of the society who are benefited from that, we go together and we pay for those things. Yeah. And so this brings me back to my original point that I was going to make about this and then I want to put a button in and go to agriculture again and just talk about my brother <laughs> and the farm. But I was on the dole for a little while. Not ages, but I was on the dole for a little while and it was very helpful to me in the career that I have now have. And I'm very lucky now that I earn a whole bunch of money. Um, you know. So if there was a point, say hunt. I'm not saying everybody who's been on the Dole should have to pay back the doll. I'm not. But I'm saying if you, say, end up earning $100,000 a year, then there should be a thing that kicks in where you have to pay back when you were on the doll. I have no problem with that. I actually think there are things that if you become successful enough... Yeah. And that you benefited from. Look, I would love us to have a, you know, a dole system for everyone. But if it's a difference between people bringing in useless work for the doll schemes and kicking people off the doll who actually need it, and some people who were on the doll at some stage who became wealthy enough to then pay back some yeah. of that obligation. Because then I would actually like to clear myself of that debt to society. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I would feel I would feel it it'd be nice for me to be able to say to people, I was on the dog, oh, you know, I paid off I paid it off. I mean, I'm sure I have in my taxes anyway, if you balance out the ledger. You know, yeah. I don't cheat my taxes, I pay my full whack every year. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I'm that guy. I'm the guy that says if I have to pay it, I'm gonna pay it because yeah. I think this is I'm, my I'm responsibility. Like it, as a society, some years you know? it's
1: a kick in the nuts, but it is like but I also feel like Once again, it's patriotism. It's mm. it's economic patriotism, and I believe in that. So when you talk about Team Australia, right, the person not shifting all their capital offshore, yeah, because they they're happy to pay fucking, back.
0: We're not talking about Team Bermuda, mate.
1: <laughs> yeah, but that's we're to not me talking
0: about Team Rupert fucking USA Murdoch. Yeah. We're talking about Team Australia. Yeah,
1: and so to me, that's part of it. Okay,
0: so agriculture, just to, yeah, just to briefly just to button that up. on that because my brother has gone back to the farm. Has been working on the farm now for a decade, I guess. Really, um. But the great thing is, and I will say two things, is like, firstly, to, to make your point about it being, you know, it's all about technology and, you know, like, even on a farm, you know, a small family farm like theirs, which is just, you know, my mm. brother and my dad, you know, it's a small family farm. Yeah. Uh, they, to go onwards, when my brother went home, they had to decide my parents uh, took out a second mortgage and they rebuilt their dairy. Um, you know, and it costs over a million dollars just for a small family farm to rebuild. You know, wow. the dairy. But now, what they can do is amazing. Like the, all the machines that milk the cows are set to. They have sensors so that, like, there's none of that old-fashioned thing where you know, like, basically they'd be on a rotisserie, so every cow would be milked for that amount of time, whether they had the right amount of milk, yeah, you know, for that amount of so time. So
1: some would be milked when there's nothing, and some would some, be finished milking. Right. Yeah.
0: Now they have technology where they just get milked until. They're finished. Brilliant. Every cow has a microchip. It all is in a computer. They can literally get a spreadsheet at the end of the day and go, "This cow's not milking well. They might be ill," or and they can go out and like can investigate Amazing. that. They can monitor things.
1: Some I, of them have been taught to read. Some of the,
0: well, one of the cows is actually doing the books. Yeah, <laughs> it's doing most of. The, <laughs> I had to get a special keyboard, but it's working really well. It's working really, My really well. Myob whiz. Uh, <laughs> no, but the thing is, you have to to be a farmer now. Understand then how to. what that all means and how to like keep books and understand information and technology that which which can
1: be measured can be improved
0: so my brother then has like and I will say to our uh, government's credit apparently there are a lot of schemes and whatever that he can get involved in like so my brother's got a whole bunch of I much
1: prefer when they're called programs Yeah, programs. Because when there are schemes, someone's rubbing their hands, going <laughs> in the background.
0: Somewhere. Even when I said the word schemes, I was yeah. like, I probably should point out they're not schemes. Yeah. But <laughs> I'm glad you jumped in. Uh, but like, so he's got all these qualifications now in agriculture and whatever, and he's been going to these courses, and there is a bit of a focus on, you know, giving people the opportunity to do that. But we should be talking about how important these people are and how into yeah, our to our country and we should be proud of what we do well here. That's the thing we're not very good at. And, we're never and going to make it, I, things as cheap as the rest of the world because in this country we've decided that people won't work for the amount of money that you have to work for to make those things that cheap. And I think as a country we've also decided we never want to be that country. So why are we yeah, having a conversation that about only, competing That on only price? becomes
1: a problem when we run out of countries that are willing to make cheap shit. Right. That's a long How way. How about <laughs>
0: we live in a country where we make great shit that's really expensive and we all have heaps of money and yep. then we can buy cheap shit from wherever we you know, want?
1: You know, Germany has higher wages than us, and they make these cars that fucking sell worldwide. They right. can have a car industry. They make a car. They have a car industry because their brand yep. is the shit is good. Do you and, know what I mean? Like, and, and, but, and as a brand, that's a great brand. Do you know what's? Do you know what's problem with Australia's branding to itself in Australia? Is Australia's branding to itself is she'll be right? Right. I would never buy a car from someone that says she'll be she'll right. She'll be right. Fuck that. My <laughs> no kid worries, is mate. in that car. <laughs> My kid is in that car and you're saying she'll be right. Fuck that. Jawohl, ich liebe dich. I want the car whose brand is is it's fucking good, right? Yeah, okay. I see, I see what you're saying. Okay, so
0: let's uh, stop banging on about all that stuff because uh, I want to know more about this... Uh Intimidate me, fool me twice. <laughs> shame, uh, on, shame, shame on all on of you, you cunts. Uh, <laughs> a little ditty that you've got here going. Um, uh, so you're at you're at primary school. You, they they
1: realise that you're just a bit bored by it. What kind of happens in? The, so that? I, I skip a grade. Yep. and it gets worse because it's still easy, and I'm slightly alienated. Right. Yeah. So so right. I started in a class where, and it was the same time as fucking Doogie Howser was on TV, and uh-huh. I looked. Heaps like Na- Neil Patrick Harris yes, when I was a kid. So I skipped a grade and go into this class and everyone's going, fucking nerd burger's coming. And so what's the one skill I've always had to make friends is to muck around and make, and make people laugh. Uh-huh. And that's all I fucking do. Still getting all the work done, but I'm just turning it up to 11 to make everyone like me. Sure. Right? So I'm at that school for a couple years. That is of years. a classic comedian origin story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really, that's... Um, but what happens is... I I do that year and another year at that school, and, and what it turns out is just that school isn't built for me. Like I don't match that school, uh-huh. and my parents, in their wisdom, and I resisted it because I didn't, you know, I'd gone to this school all my life, and and like you know, but in their wisdom, they said we're going to send you to a stricter school, and it's going to be tough. Like it's going to be heaps stricter than what you're used yeah. to, and I'm expecting like fucking military college. Yeah, sure. But all I did was I went to a, an all boys school down the road uh-huh. that was a lot more. It, it, just imagine Dead Poets Society. It's that, right? right? <laughs> um, so I go to I go to um the Robin Williams Dead Poets Walt Whitman Academy, and yep. <laughs> um and it is a shock to my system. In that it's. It's slightly it, – well, it is intimidating. The system is intimidating like everything is more structured and rigorous and traditional, but somehow that has the effect of taking away all the assumptions I had that everything was easy, taking away the assumptions I had that I was just better than everyone else. Mm-hmm. And, and what this school did, it did this did – this. Fucked up thing that was one of my, like to this day, is one of the best things that ever happened to me. And I'm sure it was horrible for other students. But at the end of every term, they would give you your ranking, your academic ranking in, in your year level. Oh my God. Every term. The top five. Like the ICC Cricket World Ranking? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and the top five get published in the newsletter on the Friday at the end of term. Okay. Right? Yeah. And so. I go in thinking I'm pretty shit hot and smart. Man, with that, with
0: that level of stats, they could have had like super coach. Yeah.
1: <laughs> you could have literally, <laughs> at the start of the, the year, super coach go like super team coach.
0: Jim <laughs> um, Pickering's not doing as well as he's I thought. Not he was, well. a, I'm gonna he trade was a hot him.
1: recruit from another school. I mean, he's young. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to trade him for that Indian kid that works harder.
0: Um, <laughs> yeah, none of the natural talent, but he's yeah. just
1: getting it done. Um, so anyway, I, my first term... I came in fortieth out of a okay. hundred. All right, Biggering's and I, and I'd not, never be been 40th. and I'd never been bested academically yeah. before. And so after that, I worked. I worked hard. The next term, I was the next term, I was top ten, and I made sure that I n- never fell out of the top ten. Okay. Like, and that was yeah. my, you know, weirdly enough, the moment I had something to compare myself to, I, I this competitive streak kicked in.
0: Does that uh, competitive streak has it ever got you in trouble? Or do you feel like it's like
1: yeah, like you know. Okay, how's this for a weird way? Like in just a weird way. Two stories. One, okay. you're in. <laughs> All right, sweet. Um, <laughs> one, I, I worked on a TV show here that was extraordinarily popular and I doubt I'll ever be on a show as popular as this again. Okay. Talking about your generation Yep, on, on It was really 10. popular, yeah. With Sean McAuliffe and uh, Amanda Keller and Josh Thompson. Just An amazing experience. Yeah, and
0: it it was like one of those things where where like a moment happens. Yeah, you know, because that show there was just something about that moment where that show just hit and people loved it, and it hasn't really
1: happened again since. No, like and and TV has changed since. Like audiences, you don't get two million for a panel show anymore. Like you know, and we were averaging two million. Like it was. Crazy,
0: it was just a phenomenon, and it was like what, but it, but it also at the time, I think sometimes you don't even realize because at the time you thought, oh, well, maybe that now there's just going to be a bunch of these sort of shows or like whatever, yeah. and then it just goes away, and you're like, oh, oh so it was just that, was it?
1: Yeah, well, there, you know, there was some mismanagement of talent and brand there, for right. that to happen. but um, but with that show, like that was my first big national break for quite a while uh-huh. i've been i've been out of the spotlight for quite a while just doing stand-up because i got a shot probably too early in my career and then i had to go away and figure myself out and then come back stronger knowing who i was
0: okay so t- i know uh, we're jumping all over the place and you've got two stories but that i think is a really interesting idea that thing that you just touched on then because ambition is great and we are jumping all over the place and we'll we'll come back and do it like another one if we don't get to everything but Ambition is a wonderful thing but often like, you know, to use a, a comedic example, often I will get sent a set by a young comedian, you know, who's like, uh, "Yeah, you know, I've done two gigs and here's like a, a, a you know, some footage of my second gig that I put on YouTube and I'd love you to have a look at it and, yeah, you know, yeah. and can, do you have any advice? And my main advice is take that off YouTube. Don't, let, don't put your second gig on YouTube. Don't let anyone see what you do for the first five years. Yeah, like and maybe even longer than that. Yeah, like that's when you've got to learn how to do it, and you don't want recordings of that. Man, I did a DVD in two thousand and nine that I can't watch. Yeah, you
1: know, like it's. I said things in conversation yesterday. I'm embarrassed. About. Right. <laughs> yeah.
0: But but this idea of being promoted to something before you're ready. I said you've always, just get ready. Yeah. Get ready so that when you get an opportunity, you're ready to take advantage of it. So I think that idea of what you've just said of being given something too early, just talk people as much through any of that as you're comfortable with. Uh, I'm, I'm entirely talk, comfortable. talk me through the lesson of that and how that feels and that moment. So
1: I'm- I would will, I will say that I, I had a certain level of, I would say a fairly meteoric rise mm-hmm. from the moment that I committed to doing stand-up full-time to getting my first job in media. Yeah. And, and, but that meteoric how, how, rise- how long, how long was that time? 12 months. 12 months. So that's like, yeah, that's, I mean, that's- So I went from starting stand-up to a national national drive radio on Triple J in 12 months. Yeah. That meteoric, meteoric rise had a rocket that was partially fueled by you. Yeah, <laughs> no, it was. I will say like you personally, none of that would have happened with it. You were instrumental in that. And, and part of it was f- your encouragement, just that- when you when you first saw me do stand up or you I, you first saw me do funny things and you were really encouraging and when i asked for your advice you gave it very freely and and that was where you know like i I think I always would have ended up becoming a comedian. I don't think I would have committed as soon to it had I not had the encouragement of someone like you. So that, right, well, that's, that's I the mean important the, thing. And
0: that was only the only reason I really encouraged you was because I could tell that you were going to be a comedian. So I was just like, why the you fuck?
1: Saved me, you saved me 10
0: years well, at that's a basically law firm, I'll tell you that. Yeah, well, like, that. No, but that was basically what I saw in you. Because yeah. like, I don't know. I don't need fucking good new funny people coming along trying to take my jobs.
1: <laughs> Particularly not more skinny white boys. Right. Jesus.
0: exactly. I had that fucking racket signed <laughs> up. <laughs>
1: Um, and, but, but no, you, but you, I,
0: you really helped- I could see that you it was in you and I s- knew that it was going to happen anyway. So I thought, well, if it's going to happen anyway, you might as well get into it. But I will yeah. say, uh, to follow up the point though about you then being thrown in a national drive, and I think I've told you this before, but I have not spoken about it publicly. Even though I was very, very encouraging of you, I was lobbying for you at the time when they were talking about you to do drive. I said, give him a weekend show first. I was, uh, I, was, I was saying behind the scenes, even though I had been the yeah. person who was most encouraging of you, I was also saying, I don't think he's ready to be doing this. Like in the environment that we... Like I think you probably could have if surrounded by the right people and in the right... Like, there but, was, a, there but was I, a bit of a fun I knew, to it. But I
1: knew that... Yeah. The, the thing- fact is I didn't know how to do radio. Right. And you know what? There are lots of people and this is a thing that... Do you know what? I did two years of drive on right. triple J, which is you know, by any stretch a dream fucking job. And right? did great things while you yeah, did it. And had a ball. Yeah. And I think by the end of that two years I knew enough about radio to start that two years. Mm. That's what I genuinely right. believe. If I, I needed two years of full time drive radio to be ready needed, to start doing drive running. No, you needed
0: two years of weekend fucking breakfast filling in for the drive show or the breakfast show yeah, yeah, yeah. when they were away on their holidays and then you would have been ready. Yeah. But sometimes, Charlie, people don't let me run the world. No, that's exactly right. And I right. think it is worse off for it.
1: <laughs> so so essentially what happened was, and also I was so driven that I took the job, right? I mean, that's... The, okay, and, so, and but so that's,
0: talk people through that because that's an interesting moment because... It is very hard to say no to opportunity. And I imagine in your career since then, there's been plenty of times when you've been offered things that sound fantastic and you've had to say no. How do you choose what to say yes to and what to say no to? Pay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, that's the end of the podcast. Yeah. Uh, thanks so much for tuning in.
1: <laughs> uh, never be intimidated by an amount of money. Um <laughs> No, it's 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 extraordinarily nothing to do with pay. The best advice I ever got given, and it was before it was when I was just starting to do comedy, I was running a little production company uh-huh. with Michael Chamberlain, just starting to do stand up. This Danish photographer called Mikkel Vang said to me we were drunk one night, and he just said um, money's not a fuel, it's a byproduct. Oh yeah, that's good. And that has been like that has been in the background of every single decision I've made since. And it turns out If you love the thing you've chosen to do, the money does sort itself out. Like to the point that I'm probably not great with money because it's not it's not at the forefront of my decision making. Right? You know. um, Well, yeah. I mean, like, uh, I mean,
0: no one is listening to this podcast, Charlie. Uh, You know, he's gonna be mean about that point of view because they are listening to my podcast instead yeah. of instead of my radio show. Yeah, that's right. Or watching
1: my television show. But like, also two guys that work work for the ABC. Yeah. Who which is a decision that you don't make for money. You know? No. I've always said still about- you make you you make you make fine money. I've, not, always, know, like-
0: I've always said that about the ABC that there are two types of people who work at the ABC. And uh, one is people who believe in the idea of public broadcasting and uh, have taken a major salary sacrifice to pursue, like, a television program that they actually would like to make. And the other half are people who can't get a job anywhere else. Yes. So you just need to know which one's which.
1: And I hope, by, I hope that- by the end of my first <laughs> season we know
0: which one that is. <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I, that idea of like how how do you choose? Like how do you – because you would get offered things that would be great money but maybe you just think this is not quite right for me. That like, you know, yeah. you don't have to
1: talk about specifics. No, no, but no. I no. Just- well, let's, let's start with the, the decision to do drive. Yeah. Uh, and this gets back to the philosophy, my philosophy. Yeah. You know how I said it's a blessing and a curse? Yeah. The drive opportunity is exactly a blessing and a curse. Yeah. Of course. Because – I've said I'm not going to be intimidated by anyone yeah. or any situation at yeah, turns of out. Yeah, of course. And so this thing, this opportunity came along, right? And and I don't know, as a young comedian, drive on Triple J, I can't imagine a better early, your first media job, fucking hell, right? I still want it. Yeah. <laughs> we should do it. Yeah. <laughs> We're both ready. <laughs> yeah. We're young enough. Oh, let's just talk about kids. Oh, everyone's switching off. Oh, anyway. Um, so anyway, the 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 opportunity was there, and the fact is that is a job that might come around every four years. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. When you say it
0: is one of those things where you're like, am I ready? Maybe I'm not quite ready, but I can't wait another four years, or I mean the doctor did it for ten. So yeah. you know like if someone else gets the job, that job may never come up again. And
1: so realistically, I made the call that it could not come up again or by the time it came up again, I wouldn't, it wouldn't be right. You Uh know, like, and and the job was that good that I should do it. And I also had been doing comedy for a living for 12 months. And at the end of 12 months, I get offered a a big job like that. Mm. So I've never had the shit kicked out of me. Yeah. Like I've never, I haven't bled yet. Yeah. I haven't bled yet. Over for what I do
0: why do we fall so we know how to pick ourselves up again yeah and you hadn't fallen over and you know you were Batman without the bats yeah that's right yeah yeah <laughs> you, you were just a rich charismatic prick who decided <laughs> to dress up and fight crime <laughs> dress up and fight crime
1: and it was good until until people kept getting away with crime and I realised what I liked was the dressing up <laughs> But you knew, I mean, you knew me then, and I was, I was, I was too confident. Uh, Um, I had yet to fail, and I didn't have the fundamentals. I didn't have the foundation. I was probably fifty percent on the way to finding my voice. I'd say, I'd say I'm still ninety five percent. You know, like like that's how I actually. Yeah, middle.
0: Judith and I were talking about this the other day. I kind of feel like about two thousand and nine, so that means I've been I'd been doing comedy for like fourteen years or something, where I really started to think I've, I've found what yeah. I would consider to be my comedic voice. So it's so the lesson out of that, though, in some ways, is you know don't like if you're out there and you you're plugging away at something, don't feel like you're getting ready. Yeah. You're getting but ready for your opportunity and always treat it, it like that. Never waste your time. Always keep just getting ready yeah. so that when you get an opportunity, you're you ready are to ready. take it.
1: And that's, I mean, that's, that essentially was what I went from tactics to strategy. Yeah. Okay. So I, I lost that job and it hurt. Like that hurt, losing that job. What happened was- How did you jo- deal
0: with it? Well, talk us
1: through it. The, Well, there were false starts as well. Mm. I, ru- The one thing I think I rushed into with that job wasn't the job. I think it was the person I was working with initially. Uh Sure. And it was a a mismatch of personality. Creatively, we weren't aligned. I have no ill will towards the person, but it was the least healthy working relationship I've ever had. Mm -hmm. Um, And that lasted about seven or eight months, and then we had a change. I was fortunate enough to remain in the program, and our producer, Mel Bampton, came on, and we had chemistry. And to be honest, I think – and she had heaps of radio experience. Right. And so she helped educate me about radio. I think if I'd started on air just with Mel Bampton, I think it would have gone very differently. Yeah. Because she had the experience that I did have. Right. Had. Yeah,
0: that's right. Somebody was bringing it to the table.
1: Yeah. Um, so we did what I thought were some extraordinary things. I think we did music interviews as well as can be done in that space. Like we interviewed Lou Reed for an hour and it was one of the most incredible experiences I've ever had. And it was, to the po- and it was a great interview, like something that I'm right. truly proud of. An hour with fucking Jack White playing records, talking about Hank Williams, like an hour with Noel Gallagher, like um, incredible people, great experiences. Learned how to interview, right? Over, over that time, I learned a bit more about doing comedy on radio. I, I started off trying to do it like it was stand up, and it doesn't work. Not only because there's no audience in the room, but it has to be a fucking real conversation, right. you know, like all those things, like little things that you learn. But it took me two years to learn those things, by which time uh, there was a more popular product in the market that could be put in that place, which was a combination from The Chaser, an existing and successful TV brand at the ABC, who also were much better at making friends with the organisation of the ABC. (laughs) Um, And also there was a feeling that I probably still hadn't become a fucking... Superstar right, in the way that may be expected of me in that environment, I still hadn't found my voice my and also for the last six months, I was putting heaps more time into my stand up because I figured out that that's where I was finding my voice and so when it happened, blessing and a curse, I lost the job and it was a complete kick in the nuts and I moved back to Melbourne and I just went back to gigging and just doing stand up and I spent years figuring out who I was again. Because there was a certain amount of my identity that became attached to that job. And what I what it what I learned was that my identity has nothing to do with whatever job I'm doing. Right. In fact, for me to do the job well, my job cannot define my identity. Mm. Um and you and I have talked about this before. Like, you know, one of my more recent jobs on the project, that's not a I didn't design that show. The job that I do on that show isn't an expression of everything about me as a comedian or what I do but that's me doing the job of hosting that show
0: right oh I mean I find that I've just been doing that show this week and like it is an incredibly difficult show to do because, like, a lot of this week, it was, there was really terrible news. You no, know, Charlie Hebdo got, like, you know, bombed and the yeah. attack happened. Uh, sorry. And, you know, all those people died. And we're doing like serious news crosses to people who don't speak English as their first language in, you know, France, like, and, you know, and then having to transition and maybe trying to do something funny. And I'm yeah. just guesting, you know, for a week in summer. You know, it's yeah, not, yeah. this is not hosting. It's a, it's a, and then when you have an opportunity to be funny, you've got to be funny in a six thirty at night time slot sort and, of way that also in, doesn't kind of mock some terrible bit of news that you've just come off the back of, and in the space of four
1: seconds to make a joke. Yeah, you so can't even do a set. That, that was the hardest thing is, you can't even do a setup. You can only do a punchline. Right, because if you get the setup out, somebody else jumps in as well. Yeah, yeah, or it just feels like, it just doesn't like it anyway. It's a very, it's weird. Yeah, it's a very so, but but, but the, you so know, but.
0: While you were doing that job then, how did you not let the project
1: define you or did it I, I think still the come project, to define I think the you? project to some extent was to a huge number of people their first impression of me.
0: Yeah, because it was the first thing that they were really like – because even though many more people watched uh, Generation, you were part of the team. You know, yeah. you were kind of like one of the panellists, yeah. you know, you know. whereas like this, you were, yeah, you know, you were kind of often the guy introducing the show or kind of running the show. So, yeah. I guess they're getting a bit more sense of who you are and, yeah. you know, when you're not playing just a role in somebody else's. But know, also team. five nights a week,
1: you're in someone's living room. That's right. your, your furniture, you know, like, like, like you're part of. You and know, they
0: like- are, I guess, the same people too, like in the same ways, like people who listen to radio every day get to really feel like they have a connection because it's the same you yeah. Know. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. So, um, I know you've got to go in a minute. So let's. Uh, we'll. Yeah, we'll, wow. we'll get. I know. We'll do a part two we'll, or something. We'll do a part two. No, we've barely got. Problem is, you and I going. want to
1: solve the world's problems too much. Right. Yeah. We'll cut that shit out. Yeah. <laughs> 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 but um. So it's I. I mean, I'm not. I'm not even sure where we were there. But but the. Well, I just want to know about like uh, letting the you, the
0: lesson you learned from, you know, when the radio kind of identified who you were, yeah. how you've carried that lesson through to say, not let the project like, you know, be the only thing you are or not, not let your new show that you're going to be doing yeah. or or is, did you let the project and is the new show a response to that? Maybe talk us through whatever you can talk us through about leaving the project and then what you you know decided to do next and what you are doing next yeah. so that might give people just a demonstration of it and
1: yeah look what i would say is and a lot of people would think i'm crazy for leaving a job like the project Are we w- still why still do you think
0: that people why do you think that people would uh, think that that they think you're crazy because people
1: a- i think a lot of people would assume that being on the telly five nights a week is like as good as it gets do you know what i mean you know like um, People that don't know anything about Burn yeah, yeah. Under <laughs> yeah. it's like my worst nightmare. But, but also, like, I just did a week of it and yeah. I want to kill myself. <laughs> but fifteen hundred apps. See,
0: it's a lot of it You know, you know what? You shouldn't have to like measure your fucking artistic career in quantity.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, but that's but that's yeah. exactly right. It, it,
0: Here's the thing. We start, they, they, now. Did we started before, Did we start before you on Gruen, or at the same time, or you, been, had you It was no, no. You
1: were doing Gruen before Project. Okay, so
0: we've been doing Gruen before the project. How many episodes of the project do you? I've do?
1: done. I did 14, 14 I think fourteen thirty or something. Cool. Like Don't
0: that. tell me what happens in the last one because I'm saving them all. I'm going to binge watch them on my holidays. <laughs> I. Uh, <laughs> but I um no. We we started Gruen before. Right. Yeah. Do you know how many episodes I've
1: grown with that? I'd say at a stretch, two hundred.
0: Uh, I think eighty-eight. <laughs>
1: no. <Nah, laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, anyway, but that's but I but that is but quite, this was best quite... quality over quantity as well. And, and, but what I would say is, like, it, it, the project was an incredible experience. Mm. I got. I can host live TV. I yeah. know I can host live. TV. Yeah, that's right. You've which got is your, a challenging thing to do. You've got your you know. ten thousand hours in. Yeah. 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 Um. So. But what what eventually what what was true of it was, I think it stopped being the best possible advertisement for what I actually like to do, right. And what I do, okay. Um, I I also feel like issues I had with the format from the beginning that didn't go away with the evolution of the right, show, right, right. That I disagreed with and that I fought for five years to change, they weren't going to change. So the show was never going to become the thing that I wanted it to be. I had some large conflicts with the production. Mm -hmm. Uh, And also I felt that I... And this is... The network that that the show is on has had a very difficult five years. Mm -hmm. Well, actually, no. The first two years... It had fucking MasterChef rating 2 million, the final episode rating 7. We got up to a million. But there were decisions made at that network that made life very difficult. Uh, And to some extent, the the network, because of the difficult run it had, was unable to create further opportunities for other shows. And so there was actually there was a lack of inventory on the network there were, was a lack of other shows on that would bring viewers on and and sort of a feeling that you know there was a ceiling on what could be achieved in that space and possibly at that network yeah um and that's being pretty frank about it you know that's that's being pr- about it no as no but you, i think anyone who be. actually
0: like you know looks around and says well if if you're on a successful if you were on that show on any other network they'd be looking not just you but they would have been looking at you at husey maybe at Carrie... like doing other things on other like yeah, they'd be using those people on other shows developing yep. their own shows you know their major network you know stars that you go well, oh I'd love to see what they would do you know let's send them off and do reports for getaway at the yep. very least you know what yep. I mean? <laughs> like- and that,
1: and that wasn't happening and th- but there'd be conversations like where you talk about a show you want to do, and everyone's enthusiastic. Yeah. but there's no money and no. no that'd ability. be like if you got any money. Yeah, <laughs> that's not my job. I don't own the cameras, mate. Yeah. No.
0: Do, you know, <laughs> <laughs> do you know any guys who can work cameras?
1: Yeah. Um. So, but also there was a there, there was another thing which was um. I believe that you. In entertainment, there are those who choose their trajectories and those who don't.
0: Oh yeah, okay. Like that, that, in, in showbiz, that, sure.
1: there are those that whether it's through fear or comfort or whatever it is, they will stay on something yep. because it's safe. Sure. There are those who leave if they're smart either at the peak or just before the peak or maybe just after the peak of of that wave that the of, of the ride of what they're working on. Well, normally what happens is you if you're really
0: listening, you feel it's done before the audience starts hoping. Yeah, yeah, no, you know? that's right, like, that's right. And hopefully you leave them wanting more, but they actually technically didn't want more because you know if you sh- gave them another season, they'd be like, actually, you know what, he yeah, was right. Last was good. He was right. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: But it, it's funny, it's a lesson I learned because I, I knew since I was 12 I wanted to be a comedian uh, and I've I've, wa- I've watched how Monty Python went about it. I watched sure. how the D-Gen, D-gen you know, like Working Dog D-gen went about of, it.
0: Working Dog have always been experts at and, getting out before they needed to. And
1: I'll never forget, like, the, when I... The penny dropped for me, and I made a decision about how I was always going to be if I had if I had the ability to. The last episode of Frontline, uh-huh. which was a brilliant show that I made, I think my favourite thing they've ever done. It's all on YouTube now. Wherever you're yeah.
0: listening in the world, you can actually just go and watch uh, all of Frontline and it's, on YouTube. And, it's and it still stands up. I watched it all again recently. It's and it, fantastic. And it is
1: of the quality of uh, the thick of it, or a lot of the Chris Morris stuff. It's sharp satire. Particularly
0: if you think about how long ago it was that they made it. It actually still. Like still weirdly true. enough, it's- it still actually works very, very well. Yeah, it's amazing.
1: Um, and the end of the last episode of that was a cliffhanger, and you were expecting the next season to come, and, right. and they decided not to. And everyone said they was they were crazy, but I was like, no, they've left everyone wanting more. And they then went and made the panel, right? And it was so extraordinarily successful for them because everyone missed them. Everyone wanted something more from them, and. And I'm not making any assumptions that I am as popular as the working dog guys no. or uh, as beloved or as good. I'm not saying that. Well, there's, all, there's, felt, a, there's only one of you for a start. Yeah, that's right. There's only so much. One yeah. person <laughs> there's, but, I, but There's I made like 15 of them. But I made the decision that I felt I'd done all I could in that job and I could easily have kept that job for another 10 years. I probably yeah. would have been safe to uh-huh. rely on that for 10 years if I'd really wanted to. Yeah. But in ten years, I would regret it because I would wonder what I could have done in those ten years. Yeah, I, I,
0: I, well, I agree with you. By the way, I think that you definitely that's there is a point you where you tip over into. Oh, okay, maybe he's not going to do anything else. I think the time's right. So then I imagine when you decide that you're going to leave a show like that, the phone starts ringing because, like you know, you it's it's a good time for you. This is a time you've come off a really successful thing. You've left in your own time while the show's still successful. And the thing about the show is that it's been successful in a place that has had no success. So people must be thinking it's like, you know, picking the good footballer out of the team that's been going shit and you think, well, you know, he's pretty good with them. But imagine if like he was in a team where there was eight other blokes who were really good as well. He's going to be a star. Yeah. So there's got to be other networks. When
1: I say yeah, I don't mean yeah, I'm a yeah. talented yeah, I'm player. That guy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, no, no. But I mean, it makes sense. It's not even yeah. it's not a weird or arrogant thing yeah. to say. The phone's gonna ring even just to like with shit offers.
1: Yeah, I was at very, the very I was lowest. very fortunate though, because I made my mind up, mm. but then I sort of ran the thought past some I guess I'd say my my mentors. And I and I'm very fortunate to have great mentors. Uh-huh. Like and and I I couldn't feel more fortunate for the mentors I have one is you I'm not going to embarrass the others by by naming them but the it's interesting to me that you say that though because for someone who it
0: might be interesting to people at home to try to get their head around the idea that you know that, that you you've talked about that uh, you know trying not to be intimidated but at the same time that you does that make you more comfortable to seek the advice of other people because you know oh, I that
1: have, I have no fear seeking the advice of yeah. people okay that's and, interesting. and you would know that because our relationship began when you'd said something favourable about my my comedy in passing, mm-hmm. and then I got in touch with you and said, "Can I buy you coffee and ask advice?"
0: That's true. That is actually that is what happened. You're
1: right. And and we went home at three in the morning. Yeah,
0: <laughs> there was a lot of other adventures that we can't talk about in between that. Um, it's
1: good night. It's good night. Yeah. But um, but I've never I've never had fear in doing that, and that's also part of like you know I I. I name dropped before about interviewing Lou Reed and stuff yeah. like that I wasn't intimidated to talk to Lou right. Reed and I wasn't intimidated when I interviewed the Dalai Lama for an hour and a half uh-huh. and did a Q&A for 5,000 people right. like I've I been fortunate enough to do the most extraordinary things already yeah. and I feel like I'm starting my career now Yeah, with the, with the new show that I'm about yeah. to do I feel this is the beginning uh-huh. but if all of those things and I've been I've met my I've met heroes like proper heroes I've I've met Will Ferrell... Like, I've interviewed Will Ferrell three times. Once as Ron Burgundy and hung out. Yeah. Kristen Wiig, Steve Carell, John Cleese, Billy Connolly. All the people that freak you out with what they've achieved as right. comedians. Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, all of them i have not been intimidated. Mm-hmm. Because what I know is that all people are people. Like, regardless of who you fucking are. and And I imagine good thing about comedians is they have a relatively low bullshit tolerance with the world that's reflected in doing comedy.
0: Right, yes, true.
1: So I reckon it would be really annoying if you were Billy Connolly and everyone, whoever fucking spoke to you, grovelled and made you uncomfortable with how much they grovelled at you. You told me a story once about something... At a lunch with Billy Connolly that you were at, it's true. I, I won't, I won't, I won't tell the story. But I, uh,
0: people can find this story on my other podcast, Tofop. I have talked about it before, but uh, uh, I did get to sit with Billy Connolly at lunch one day. And uh, he, I, I will say to to further your point, he did not. Uh, my mum, I talked to my mum afterwards, and 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 because her and I first went to Billy Connolly together, and we're going again on the 28th of January, in fact, in the same place we first saw him uh, all those years ago, 24 awesome. years ago. And uh, so I rang her afterwards, obviously excited and whatever, and she said, "Oh, you know, what did you talk about?" And I said, "Well, mostly me," like you said, he just wanted, he was just. He didn't want to like him, like how much I loved him and how important. He just wanted to know who I was and what comedy was like and what gigs I was doing and what I thought was funny. And we laughed about the most inappropriate shit that day, and it was brilliant.
1: It's it's funny, like um, I don't I don't really have an ethnicity, right? Like I I don't feel that I belong to an ethnicity Mm -hmm. as such. Sure, but I know that I'm part of a tribe. Oh
0: yeah yeah. Seinfeld talks about Comedians being a tribe a lot And I think it's a good It's a nice way to put it
1: And I've felt it every single Like you know Like Every comedian High or low That I've hung out with Right You all speak the same Fucking language Yeah yeah, yeah. But the thing I remember Really clearly Is John Cleese is coming On the project And he's doing a few segments Like he's spending A fair bit of time So we get to hang out A bit um, Before the show And I said to him Look I've got to tell you uh, That the first comedy I ever did was it was the house drama competition at my school, which is this Dead Poet Society school. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so I was in charge of house drama for my house, uh-huh. uh, and you had to put on a show one lunchtime, uh-huh. and then they all yeah. got judged. And but I your said, father didn't want you to do drama. No, no, he didn't. he didn't. I actually got banned from doing the play in year twelve because I had to I had to fucking study. So it's Weirdly accurate. There were no guns around the house. It all worked out fine. Um, but but, uh, but I said I said to John Cleese. I said I just I just have to let you know. The first comedy I ever did was the house drama competition, and and I was in charge of it. And I did a hybrid of Monty Python's Spanish Inquisition. With Mel Brooks's Spanish Inquisition from the History of the World. Oh. And I combined the two and wrote dialogue to link them all up and made a, a half hour narrative about life in the Spanish Inquisition. You were doing like comedy mashups. Ma- comedy mashups, <laughs> which is the first thing you do. You were the Skrillex. In comedy. of Live comedy. And so uh, I was probably more like, what is it? Too many DJs. Oh, than, too many DJs. Than yeah, sure. I wasn't quite as badass as Skill Rex. <laughs> Um, but uh, And so I told him that And what was interesting to me was He didn't take that as a conversation Of flattery about You were the first comedy I ever uh-huh. Like was into His first response was So how'd you make that work? Because they're very different And I go, yeah, so what I had to And uh-huh. we were talking We were talking yeah. technical We were having a technical discussion Straight away And that's, that's evidence of the fact that the tribe is the tribe. It's like it, I think. I think Steve Coogan doing Alan Partridge. He's as good at doing that as anyone is at doing anything in the world. Right. Like I think uh-huh. it's freakish. And and he's quite a large figure on the com- comedic landscape. But I know I could speak to him straight away about doing comedy, and it wouldn't be an intimidating experience. Yeah,
0: uh, that's a that's a. It is one of the great things about the tribe, if you will yeah, put it like that.
1: Um, I- so so if you, just feeding that back yes. in, feeding that back in. So if I take all of the people who I've looked up to the most uh-huh. all of my life and when I've met them, we've had a conversation, not as equals because we're not, yeah, but we've had a conversation as people that, yeah, well, in the equal- same ballpark. Well, as know, equal- the same, yeah, doing the sure. playing the same sport, yeah, maybe different leagues, but playing the same sport. Yeah, that's good. That's a good analogy. Um, so why would I be intimidated? Do you, like, do you know what I mean? Like, so yeah, I know what you So, mean. if the people okay. that I should find the most intimidating in the world want to just talk to me about stuff, right. Why would I find anyone intimidating?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, it's rare, and that's one of the nice things that I get. I guess you get the opportunity uh, to do um when you uh, interview people is that you get to talk to people and it's rare that you ever met anyone that you're like that you're not just a normal person who ended up getting really good at what they do um so i, I want to wind this up because i know that you're on a time you have yep. a baby and we, well, i wanted to talk about the baby but we'll talk about that another time we're doing we're one. Wow, is, it's gone time. Very quickly. i want to talk to you about like death and what you believe and i want to talk to you about religion there's so many things i need to get to but This one's kind of been about work and that sort of thing. So let's finish it off with where you are now because we talked about you leaving the project but you're about to do a new project. So just talk us through whatever you want to
1: talk about here. So as you said before, I left the project and I deliberately had not sought out my next project before yeah. I
0: left okay so you weren't leaving with something else you know I'm gonna leave this and then in six months I'll be doing this other thing you were like I just left and we'll see what happens
1: because I was in a show for five years that t- that's what I did it- at Triple J. Yeah, I was like
0: I said I've done five years other people should have an opportunity to do what I've done this is a youth radio station I could stay here forever and I yeah. really could have I would have loved to stay there forever it was the most fun job I ever had in my life but I it was my time was done and it was time for me to frontline it and fucking move on and yeah. you'll leave without a plan yeah
1: yeah, and, but also I, I felt that I don't think I would make great decisions with the mindset that I'd had of this daily churn of doing this job and it being my myopic focus for exactly. five years.
0: Exactly. You know, your choice may have been a complete reaction to the thing that you were just doing, which is not necessarily the best way to make a choice.
1: Yeah. So I left. I was on a plane overseas within 24 hours mm-hmm. and I just went, to Bermuda, where Charlie's making, <laughs> where, where all my money is. <laughs> we just, to, citizenship. Just, just, just to keep my money company. Um, no, I went to New York. My wife's a New Yorker. And we, we went to New York and I was there for like uh, three or four months in New York. Um, and it, you, it's a very different place. Should have gone to Istanbul. You, you know, like that's a that's a very different... I've been to Afghanistan. That's a very different place. Yeah, but, very different. but this is like, you know, it's a different place. Uh, and I just cleared my head and i said basically said to myself well what's important to me with my next job what's important to me what 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 are my priorities and what's going to make me feel like it's a rewarding job and and i sort of you know made up a list of things that i'd need for a job you know for for my next project mm-hmm. and they were like things- a physical list yeah it? yeah okay yeah. you wrote it down wrote it down and vi- revisited it and crossed things off and added to it and um Did you discuss it with your wife or is this a
0: decision that you make by yourself?
1: No, I discussed it with my wife because she has a very interesting input because she doesn't work in my industry. So Mm -hmm. it's – and that's very helpful. I also had great conversations. I I had a chat with you. I had a chat with my other mentors about where I was at and what Mm -hmm. to do, you know. Um, And the things that were important to me because at at the project, I was about as high up the decision-making tree of that show without being the executive producer. Yep, Which meant – I could express a very firm view and when the red light was on I had a certain amount of control over things but it was never my show and it was never my decision and that was one thing that frustrated me. So one of the things on my list was if I'm going to put my face to it and it's going to have my opinions and my jokes and and my content and my direction then I have to be the decision
0: maker. Right. I think there is a point where people think you're in charge and it's weird when you're not because they think the things coming out of your mouth are your choices and your decisions when sometimes they're not. And that – I think there is a point you get to. And, like, I was very lucky with Gruen because I started not being, like, an executive producer of that show and I transitioned in it to, during the show. which So it was a very natural way yeah. for me to do that. I didn't have to kind of, you know – Make that call at some stage. It just naturally evolved and happened, and now I'm the only you know remaining sort of producer, yeah executive producer from that time. So it, but it, it is a big deal to make that extra step into kind of being in charge. like and
1: it's a lot more work, yeah, and it's a lot more responsibility. and, you, and
0: people are now looking at you in a different way because you're now no longer just Charlie in the meeting. you are the executive producer of the program.
1: yeah, so that that was one thing important to me. Yeah. I really felt that this was going to be, as I said, I feel like I'm starting my career. I yeah. felt this was a chance to actually, to some extent, say, despite what you may have seen me do in previous right. jobs, well, you this get is it, me yeah. trying to do the thing that I think that I do. Like, this is me trying to do what I believe is a good show. Well, that's,
0: and that's what stand-up has always been for me. Yeah. And to a lesser extent, like, I mean, particularly my other podcast, Tofop, they're the yeah. two things that I've created in my career like my stand up my recent stand up you know maybe post 2009 stand up and tofop would be the two things to tofop fofop would be the two things where i would say these are these are things that accurately express me to – you get a real sense of who it is that I actually am, yeah. whereas the other things, and
1: you know, you're often doing a job. And a lot of it is and, – and you would see this is it's the thing with the fewest compromises. Right. Oh, yeah, that's exactly yeah, right. And that's, yeah. and that's what it is. Yeah. There will still be compromises with any TV show you ever make, yeah. like unless you, you make it yourself and put it on YouTube or to Netflix or whatever right. it is, right?
0: Um, well, everything is a compromise of some kind because yeah. it's, it's going to be a compromise of budget, or it's going to be a compromise of time, or yeah. it's going to be a compromise of lighting opportunities, or yeah, yeah, getting yeah. a guest on
1: a certain day, and, or every like. And what I call the reality filter, right? The gap between your brain and it existing in the world. There's a reality filter that compromises everything, and you can't help it. It's exactly it's fucking gravity, right? You know, like so. There's that, and the and kind of the other th- key thing was. I grew up watching things like Monty Python, which have stood the test of time. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily think I'm ready to make something that people will still be watching in 30 years' time. Mm -hmm. But I didn't want to make something disposable. And I felt that what I was making five nights a week was disposable. It's
0: disposable. It's it's daily radio. The reason I love the podcast more than I love... People can listen to this whenever. When I die, probably soon when i die, yeah. when I die <laughs> probably later today uh when i die people can find this and they can listen to it forever and they'll at least know what we had to talk about yeah. and it's there whereas somebody who might be getting paid millions of dollars i mean last year i got offered a job that was over a million you know like yeah. anyway i shouldn't talk about but anyway like uh, a
1: lot of money and you and you were like i'm, I'm not a I'm sorry. City, bahamanian citizen yeah I,
0: I'm, sorry. Can I, I'm not can set can up I, for this can i do it from the bahamas yeah <laughs> you can put an isdn into the bahamas right no but I'd rather do this fucking free podcast because you know I get to say what I want to say and it stays around like when you're doing the radio you go through in a week like doing drive radio I would go through ideas in a week that you could you could do 20 minutes of stand
1: up on in 2 of a year 100% if you spent the time on them and gave them the the air and, and it's be, gone yeah disposable so so what I want to achieve with my next show oh and the other thing was I want to choose who I work with Oh, yeah. And they want to be people who, this is this is actually a big thing, and and it's a philosophy as as executive producer because mm-hmm. I have worked in too many situations with producers that get that hire people because they're the funniest people, and then tell them how to be funny. Oh
0: yeah, yeah. Let people and, do and, what they do. And well. my
1: philosophy is I want to get people I love working with, yep. love spending time with, yep. and I think are really funny, and then get the fuck out of their way, right, and give them as director. My job is EP is to give them as direct a route as possible between themselves and the audience. Yeah. Within the con- within the compromises of making a television show. No, 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 I agree and, with and, you. And that is... That is... Um, that's really important to me. It's very and smart.
0: It's like I, I, I have had these arguments with people a lot over the years. Either hire them and if you think they're funny, hire them and let them do what it is they do. Yeah. And if you want it, If you don't think they're funny, don't hire them. Yeah. But... Don't hire a funny person and then get them to try to do something else.
1: It's yeah. It's it's like hiring a fucking surgeon and then telling them where the oesophagus is. It's fucking crazy. I mean,
0: the brilliant thing about Peter Hallier's show, it's a date, is that every comedian who was on that had a great performance because he just because Pete
1: knows why they're funny. Yeah, and yeah, he lets them do it. (laughs) So the getting down to the philosophy of the TV show, the bottom philosophy, and actually the philosophy. Of Hopefully my career from here, I am happy to fail for giving the audience too much credit. Mm-hmm. I am no longer happy to fail for not giving the audience enough credit. Oh, that's nice. I like that a lot. Because that
0: is, I think that we have to raise our standards in general. Like, I mean, I love a little bit of gutter humor and I love, but I think that we should be trying to do things that are ambitious. And I think that we should, like, I've spoken about this before. That's not a
1: national trait. No, but, We're I, not but, ambitious, but I mean you know. us, our
0: tribe. Even. Oh, our tribe. Yeah, Our yeah, tribe yeah. even. Because you know what? I'm happy to defend your rape joke on the grounds of freedom of speech if it's the best rape joke that you can do and you're trying to make people better with your rape joke. If you're Louis CK and you can make a rape joke that makes me fucking think and confronts it and understands every bit of baggage that comes with talking about that topic, then I will defend your right to make it. But stop making me defend the right to your shitty fucking bringing nothing to the table and nothing into our industry. Rape jokes, yeah, and uh, I mean and, that in general. And your that rape we joke need that you to raise to
1: get a laugh because you hadn't written the bit
0: right. Raise, raise the bar. Yeah, let's oh, all just raise the bar. But also, you let's can't, make you can't better have, stuff.
1: Yeah, you can't have. How can you have a world with people like fucking Stephen Colbert and John Stewart and Will Ferrell and Kristen Wiig? Mm. How can you? How can you have a world with those people in it? And you still are lazy about what you aspire to right. with your
0: comedy yeah go like, go go do something great and, and, and we CK. all can that. and see ck
1: is like he's fearless now. and says something with everything yeah. he does
0: we can do something yeah i
1: know and, and keel and, and mitchell right. and webb and you know like there are benchmarks yeah. everywhere if you no look i think
0: forward. we all have to hold ourselves to higher standards myself included like it's definitely something that i am very conscious of and going like make sure you're tr- getting the best and trying to make the better jokes and trying to joke about the right things mm. and and you know, anyway. So look, I, well, I've kept you way over when I needed to keep because you actually like have a family and all sorts of stuff. Um, so we'll talk about all that stuff next time. Let's uh, plug anything you want to plug. Is there anything at the moment that you just?
1: My show's going to be on yeah. the ABC, and
0: you know, even you can't. Well, I, I can't mean, even can't do even a time even slot or anything. Time slots but it's going to be on ABC, but-
1: and and you know what? I've, I've listed my philosophies. Yeah, you'll get. I'm a sense probably of- not going to hit them in the first ep. Yeah, I may. I'm if I hit them by the end of the first season, I'll be really happy. Right, but just know that I'm working really hard to try a, and know, live up to my own expectations. Yeah, you're you gonna know, have a
0: crack. There's yeah. no doubt about that. I, uh, you probably won't hear this before uh, my, oh, who knows, uh, January nineteenth. Uh, if you're hearing that, uh, this before then, uh, I will be at the Sydney Opera House uh, doing the final night of my Illuminati tour. Willuminati tour. Um, I, uh, it, I'm doing two shows that night. The seven o'clock show is is, is sold out, but the nine thirty show. Uh, Which is the second one That will be the last time I ever do the show live So if you've ever wanted To see a show In the concert hall At the Opera House And if you ever wanted To see one of my shows It would be cool If you came along to that And uh, we're filming it all For a big special Hopefully for the US So that would be Really cool too And my free will tour Is on sale In uh, Adelaide, Brisbane And Melbourne And so as soon as The 19th is done I will start writing that show (laughs) I... uh (laughs) <laughs> but I also am trying to make it great. <laughs> <laughs> Charlie, thanks so much, man. Hi, it was a pleasure. <laughs>